Hills family. How are we doing today? Uh, oh, wow. That was one of those, huh? I'm glad you three people are doing good. Okay. How are we doing today? Are we doing good? It's a good day. It's a good day. It's good to be in the house of God. I want to greet all of our campuses that are joining us right now. First and foremost, good morning, Old Town Campus. Pastor Dwayne, that crew out there. Good morning to our Tulare Street crew. Good morning um, to our campus in Marin County in Nevada, the Hills, Nevada. Good morning. This is one I forgot the last couple weeks and I've, I'm repenting right now. Good morning to our set free soldiers at that sober living house in Alpa. Set free Alpa. Good morning to you guys. Thank you for being with us. Good morning to our online community. If you're watching down the street or around the world, we're glad you're with us. So, hey, uh, it is a good day to be here. I want to um, address something. Usually I start with like a fun story or something and we kind of like go in lightly. But I'm just going to handle something that's pretty, pretty heavy right now and it's going on in the world. And I just want to deal with it and then we're going to, I'll just turn the corner hard to a weird story. But anyways, um, if you haven't watched the news, you may have seen that um, Israel was attacked this week and they've now declared war on um, Gaza. Um, and I, I, I want you to understand something. Um, as Christians, we should never cheer on war. Like that's a bad thing. Um, there are going to be innocent people, children, women on both sides that are going to suffer during that. So like, I want to remind us of that. But I also, because you'll hear a lot of criticism in the, in the world, like, oh, you Christians, all you care about is Israel. And um, we, as Christians for 2,000 years, yes, we care a lot about Israel because it is our spiritual home. As a matter of fact, God, to the very first Israelite, Abraham, I, I want to read you something. And this is why, as the people of God, we want to bless Israel, if it makes sense. God, God said to Abraham, the first Israelite, he said this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. That's one of the reasons we bless Israel. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will 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 be blessed through you. And see, that was a prophetic word that God gave to Abraham. And it came true because the whole world was blessed by Israel. Do you know why? Because Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, came from Israel. And th this is why um, we, as Christians, always stand with God's people. Because you have to understand, the Bible talks about that if you are a Christian... You've actually been grafted into God's people. You're like a wild olive branch grafted into the tree, to the olive tree, if that, that makes sense. You know, look at your neighbor and say, you're a wild branch, I'll tell you that. It's true. You were, if you're a Christian, you're a real believer in Jesus, you were grafted into Israel, right? We're not like a different thing. We're like the weird guy that got adopted into the family. But we're part of the family, if that makes sense. And we stand with them. And I, I want to remind everyone, um, there'll be all kinds of political opinions on it. I could care less about those. Here's what I know. One day, the Messiah will set his foot on the Mount of Olives. It will split in two. He will walk through the eastern gate of the, of the temple. And he will set up his reign forever. And from Jerusalem, the whole world will come 
and bow at the knee of Jesus. It says that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And here's the crazy part. From Jerusalem, a river will flow out. And you say, how will that happen? I don't know if you realize this, the Gihon Spring is in the middle of Jerusalem. It'll come right out of there. And it says that the tree of life will be there and the river will flow from Jerusalem where Jesus sits on his throne. And it says the leaves of the tree, the tree of life next to the river, will be healing for the nations. Healing for the nations. Here's what that means. That one day there will be true peace. And it will only happen through Jesus. It will only happen through Jesus. So our prayers are with the people of Israel. Our prayers are with the innocent in Gaza right now. Because um, that area of the world, I've been to that area of the world, is run by evil thugs. And there's a lot of innocent people in that place too. So please do not cheer on death and destruction. Pray for the peace of that land. Can I get an amen on that? That'll preach, right? Yeah, let's go. Okay. So I'm going to turn the corner now to some dumb story. All right. So <laughs> this summer, uh, I got a call from my friend and um, he was like, hey, uh, I'm climbing. I've got a group of people. We're going to climb Mount Whitney. If you don't know what Mount Whitney is, it's the tallest mountain in the lower 48 on continental United States, 14,500 feet. He goes, one guy dropped out. You want to join us? I was like, that's amazing. Yes. When is it? He goes, well, it's in five days. And I was like, what? Uh, uh, he goes, I got to know now because we're going to find someone. I said, and you know, the pass to climb Mount Whitney, uh, permit to climb Mount Whitney is very difficult to get. It's a pain. And I was like, okay, uh, uh, okay I'll do it. So I had five days to get ready. So he calls me another day or two later. He goes, um, hey, by the way, there's, um, the, you know, and I had been reading about it. You know, the last part, you, you climb about 2,000 feet in elevation. You start at 3,500 feet and you climb to 14,500 feet. It's a crazy climb. And I was like, that's cool. Are we going to camp? Because most people will camp at about 10,000 feet. And they acclimate to the altitude for a day and then they climb. I go, so where are we camping at? He goes, oh, no, no, no. I only have a 24-hour pass. We're going to do it in one shot. Now I have three days. And he says, you know, the 99 switchbacks, there's this, the last part, it's about a 2,000 foot climb and it's up these switchbacks up the mountain, back and forth like this. And it makes it less steep, right? And it's supposed to be grueling and it's just super hard and whatever. I go, yeah, the 99 switchbacks, I've heard about those. He goes, yeah, because of this, this is in July, late July. He goes, because of the um, snow, the whole thing's a glacier now, it's all ice. So you're gonna have to buy an ice ax and some spikes for your feet and we're gonna climb the glacier. And I was like, Oh, no. I'm not backing out, right? You know, because I'm just dumb like that. I'm a skydiving, pinto driving, risk-taking kind of guy. So we do this thing. And um, I made it, by the way. Do we have the picture? Do we have the picture? We have the picture. There we go. I made it. Yay. Okay. That's great. Thanks for the applause. A lot of people made it. A lot of people in this church have made it. So it's not that big of an event. But I did only have five days to prepare for it. But as I was climb, you know, we got to that glacier and I'm like, you know, I'm already up about 10,000 feet. I've gone from 3,500 feet to 10,000 feet and I've gone a long way and I'm exhausted. And, you know, I start climbing this glacier, right? And I'm, you get to a certain point, like you're watching people slide down the thing because it's icy and you're like, oh no. And like, you know, if you drop your ax, the thing shoots like 40 miles an hour down the hill and you're dodging people's stuff. And you're like, there's no real going back on this. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to get down when I get to the top. So I'm climbing this thing. And here's what I realized. 
There's only one way. There's no like, I can't take a side trail. I can't, you know, go the long way around. There's only one way to the top of that mountain and it's through that glacier. And I'm going to have to go that way. I'm halfway there and I'm like, there's no, I don't even know how I'm going to get down. I don't know what's going to, you know, my friend got, was ahead of me and I watched him get to the top. And as he got to the top, it's all ice. He stands like in victory, right? He has, you know, he has his axe and he has a trekking pole and he's got his spikes on his feet. And he stands straight like this and all of a sudden his feet slip. Oh no, here he comes right at me. And he figures out as he's sliding, trying to stop, he can't. So he navigates himself off into a ravine, into a pile of rocks. So I'm, I'm like, are you okay? Said, I'm okay. Okay. So I start climbing. I get his axe. I get some of the stuff he forgot. And this poor guy, like, I would have just been like, I quit. Just leave me here to die. But somehow he, with one trekking pole, like climbs this ice glacier and makes it to the top. And here's why. Because there was only one way up. There was only one way there. Actually, I, have, I didn't take a picture while I was on the glacier because I was a little freaked out. But once I got to the top, I took a picture. I'll just show you like the, how far up this thing is. Do, do we have a picture? Or we have a video. Holy Forgive my, my finger that's in the lens. Yeah, started down there. So that's not the glacier we climbed, but that's, that's the distance we went. It's a couple thousand feet, right? So there's only one way. So today, I want to talk to you about the exclusivity of Jesus. We're in a series right now called A Logical Faith. Because faith actually is a logical thing. Sometimes people think like, oh, when you have faith, it's like blind faith, right? Um, even when you have faith in the wrong thing, it's usually because of evidence. There's, always, there's a logical deduction anyone makes to have faith in anything. Whether you had faith in your car getting he you here today, you had faith in your chair holding your rear end up when you sat on it, you have faith in your phone when you use it, you have faith in all kinds of things. And the reason you have faith in things is usually there's some evidence of it. Even when I was a kid, I had faith that there was a tooth fairy. Because every time I put teeth under my pillow, I ended up getting money. So I was sure of it. I'm going to break some people's hearts today. Then I found out more about the tooth fairy. My poor kids, one of them, the way they found out about the tooth fairy is because it was the third kid and poor mom and dad were just tired of putting money under the pillow and we can't remember how many teeth he lost. So one day he came out and he's like, I didn't get any money from the tooth fairy. I still have my tooth. And we're like, oh yeah, now it's time for you to face a brutal truth. The tooth fairy doesn't love you anymore. <laughs> I didn't say that, but... See, faith takes a logical deduction. There are people out there that will tell you, no, faith, people of faith are people that take things blindly. Um, and they can say whatever they want, but the truth of the matter is, the, the, the facts are that anything you put your faith in, whether you put your faith in science or in a doctor or in um, the scientific process or your, anything requires some logical deduction to get there. And there usually requires some evidence to bring you that, to that place that you believe something. 
So we've been going through this series talking about the logic of faith in Jesus, the logic of faith in God. And today we're going to address the subject of the exclusivity of Christ. Because here's the interesting thing. Um, there's many people out there in the world today that, um, you know, they love what Jesus had to say. They love Jesus, but they don't really love everything Jesus had to say. They like the things about love your neighbor, love and forgiveness, uh, but they've never really looked into who Jesus was and the exclusive nature that Jesus really believed there was only one way to God. And it was through him. And I want to read to you this morning from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. So I love it if you're able, if you can stand in honor of God's word, whatever campus you're at, whatever venue you're in. Let me read this to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that also you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how could we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. See, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. This is God's word. You may be seated. So if you have your outline today, you can use the Clovis Hills app to get that. You just go to the sermon section of it, and the outline's there. There's a Bible study um, there's a Bible study for this passage if you want to do that during the week or you want to do it as a family or with your friends or whatever. But um, number one is this. Jesus is the way. He says, I am the way. He doesn't say I am a way. He says, I am the way. Look what it says in verse 6 of John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus, in this passage I just read to you, I want you to think about this. He has just claimed to be God. Philip's like, well, show us God. And he goes, you're looking at him. That, that's what's going on in that passage. He goes, I am in the Father, the Father's in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Last week, we talked out of 1 Colossians, how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. It means he's before all creation. He was never created. He was God. He spoke it all into existence. 
And Jesus is now saying, I'm not a way to God. I am the way to God, right? He says it in another way in Matthew 11. I want to read it to you. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those whom the Son chooses to reveal. Then he says this. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for my souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, it is really convenient in our culture today because Jesus is claiming he is the only way to God. He, I am the way. He doesn't say I'm a way. I want you to think about that. That's not super popular, right? We live in a culture now where people would say, oh, well, that, that's cool. That's your truth. Right? That, that's, that's your truth. That's true for you, but it may not be true for me. And um, I, I, I want you to understand, like, that sounds wonderful and incredibly tolerant. But if you think about it, one, it's illogical. And two, it, it, it actually is rather, rather arrogant if you think about it. You know, the argument that there are many ways to God and all the major religions, they're all kind of worshiping the same God, um, sounds really good when we say it. And it feels really good in, in a tolerant culture like ours to, to do that. But this is not what Jesus is saying. Timothy Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, he gives a, a, great, a great analogy. Because people will say like, oh, well, all the major religions are really just worshiping the same God. They're just doing it differently. It's like a, it's like a group of blind men that try and describe what an elephant is right? The first blind man, you ask him what the elephant feels like, and he says, oh, an elephant, it is long and squishy, you know? And then the second blind man says, oh, no, 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 an elephant is like a tree trunk. I mean, I'm down here, this thing, it's like a tree trunk. That's what an elephant is. You know, and the, the other blind man is like, no, an elephant is like a giant wall. It's a fuzzy wall, but it's like, it's immovable. It's like this big rock almost. You know, and the, the fourth blind man's going, no, the elephant's like long and skinny like a snake and it stinks, right? And what they would say is, oh, well, those are all the major religions de describing a portion of who God is. And I, I want you to understand something. As great as that sounds and as well as that sounds in an Oprah-driven universe, what you are saying when you adhere to that is you're saying, oh, that's cool. Um, all four major religions on the planet, they're blind, but I have the perspective that is greater than all of theirs. You're saying you, in your limited number of years living, you have figured out more than what 90-something percent of, 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 of human history has believed. It's an incredibly arrogant statement to think that way. See, Jesus, when he says he's the way, he, he, says, he says in John's gospel as well, all others who came before me, after me, they're, they're liars. They're not. He's the only way. Gosh, that sounds awful, doesn't it? 
Well, then he says this. He throws this on top, too, because this is a hard one to believe. He also says, I am the truth. I am the truth. Number two, I'm the way and I'm the truth. I want you to think about that. Um, and this, this isn't ragging on all the other religions of the world. Like there, there's good things that come from, from all, of the, all of those faiths, right? Um, but if you were to go to Buddha and you were to say, are you the son of, son of Brahma? It, he would have said, my son, you're still under the value of illusion. No. If you were to go to Socrates, or Socrates, as I like to call him, are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you and said, no. If you were to go to Muhammad and say, are you Allah? He would have tore his clothes, screamed, and then had you beheaded for blasphemy. If you ask Confucius, are you heaven? Because they don't believe in God. They believe that eventually you can become nirvana or heaven or nothingness. He probably would have replied, well, remarks which are not in accordance with nature are in bad taste, my friend. See, the argument that Jesus was just a good moral teacher like the rest of all the religious figures in human history, it doesn't match up. See, because Jesus actually claimed to be God. I want you to think about that. He claimed to be God. If you were walking around River Park and someone walked up to you and said, hey, just want to let you know, I'm God. You'd be like, here's 45 cents. Have a blessed day. You would think that person was crazy. See, no other religious leader, no other great moral teacher ever claimed to be God. They never claimed to be the way to God. They never complained to be God in, in physical form. They, 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 they were hoping they, they could show you a way to appease a deity. But none of them said that they were God. And see, this leaves us to, to a decision you have to make about Jesus. He couldn't have been a good moral teacher if he's not God. He was either a liar, and I want you to think of all his friends, all the disciples, especially, the, you know, the, the, the 12, they all died a martyr's death for him, believing that he was God. And he went to his grave, allowing them to die. So he's either a liar and a despicable man, because a lot of people died in the Roman Empire because of, because of belief in Jesus. Or he was crazy because that is the words of a crazy person. Like people don't say they're God or he really was. There's no in between. There's no like, well, he was half crazy, half God. Half liar, half God. Like here's the thing. Jesus forces us to deal with the truth. I want you to think about that. There's something in the human mind in all of us in this room that we, sometimes when we don't want to hear the truth, we will create all kinds of reasons to not hear the truth. I'm not just talking about addicts. I'm not just talking about people living on the streets. I'm talking about all human beings. We build a case for what we believe. And then if something contrary comes to it, we get cognitive dissonance and we keep swiping, right? Right? 
The Bible talks about this, that the heart is deceitful above all things. And here's what happens. If you don't want to follow Jesus the way, if you don't want Jesus' way, what you do right away is you look for reasons to not believe in him. And you'll blame other Christians, or you'll blame this, or you'll blame that. But you still have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Is he really who he said he was, or was he a liar, or was he crazy? See, C.S. Lewis said it this way. I love it. He said, the idea of a great moral teacher saying what Christ said is out of the question. In my opinion, the only person who can say that sort of thing is either God or a complete lunatic suffering from that form of delusion which undermines the whole mind of man. If you think you're a poached egg when you're not looking for a piece of toast to suit you, you may be sane, but if you think you are God, there is no chance for you. We may note in passing he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects. Hatred, terror, or adoration. See, Jesus brings us to a place where we have to decide who he is and who he's not. And that has ramifications. I would add one other Thing to hatred, terror, and adoration that C.S. Lewis missed. Apathy. Apathy. There are a lot of people that walk through doors of churches all around this country today that go, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord. But it's never changed their life, really. They just went about their life with, with, with a belief that Jesus is Lord, just like you believe in gravity. Just like you believed your car would start. Just, it's kind of, eh, eh, whatever. And it never really changed who you were. It never changed the trajectory of your life. You just kept going your way, knowing that Jesus is Lord. See, here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus really becomes Lord, something happens to you. When he really becomes Lord of your life, all of a sudden, it, it, you actually do begin to ex experience that, that adoration that Lewis was talking about. It actually begins to change the trajectory of your life, how you make your decisions, how you live your, live your life, how you spend your money, how you interact with people, what, how you vote, how you believe, how, all of those things. It begins to actually change who you are. It's almost like you're a new creation or something. Someone smart said that, I think. So that leads me to point number three, guys, is Jesus is the life. See, there's a lot of people that have an intellectual ascent in Jesus. They, they know about Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. But they've, they've never bowed their knee to him truly. He's more like you tr we treat him like a vitamin or a supplement. Right? We take supplements to make us stronger rather than treating him as a source of our life. See, here's what I would tell you. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he said this to, and I'm talking to you Christians right now, okay? Buckle up. I'm about to get hard on you. Can we have a difficult conversation? <laughs> okay, I guess not, but I'm going to go there anyway. So, Look what it says in Peter 2, 9 through 10. He says, but you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people. God picked you. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. That, why? 
Why did he say that? So that we could have avocado toast and drink good coffee and live our best life. No, 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 no. So we could be healthy, wealthy, and, 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 and hashtag blessed. No. Why did Jesus save you? Why did God come for you? Why did God one day knock at the door of your heart and you had the courage to receive him? Peter says it right here. He says, you're, you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, God called you to him so that you would declare his praises with your life. You would follow him with your life. That's different than attending church. It's called being the church, right? Okay, so he, here, here's the thing. Many Christians still treat Jesus as he's a religion. All the major religions of the world say, if you do these things and you obey these things and you obey our book and you follow it right, then at the end of your life, the deity will let you into his presence, into his paradise, or is it whatever they, each one calls it. Right? I want you to think about that. Jesus never came to found a religion. He, it wasn't a religion. And what, what Christians will say is it's a relationship. And there's a guy named John Lennox, who's a mathematician at Cambridge, um, a brilliant man. And he gives, gives this analogy, which I love. Um, imagine, he, he said, you know, 50 years ago, I asked my wife to marry me. And um, imagine I... I that fateful day, I got down on one knee and I handed her a gift box. And she opened the box and it was a Julia Child cookbook. And in the Julia Child cookbook, she opened, she said, well, what is this? And he says, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And if you will take this book and apply it to your life, and you don't have to be perfect at it, you don't have to be Julia Child's, but if you will cook these recipes the way I like them, which is in this book, then after 40 years or a long life with you, then I will give you a ring and we will be married. <laughs> One dude in the room's like, yeah! Get in the kitchen, cook me a pat, right? Listen. You would get sucked in the face by that woman. She'd beat you with the book. Because that's not how a relationship works. Here's, here's how love actually works. Is he kneels down, gives her a ring and says, I want you to be mine and I want to be yours regardless of your flaws, all of those things. I think you're beautiful just as you are. And then at some point, she finds out that all of his favorite recipes are in Julia Child's cookbook. And because she loves him and she has a relationship with him, she wants him to flourish and be pleased because that is part of why she's there and he wants her to flourish and be pleased. She breaks out the Julia Child cookbook and starts cooking the way he likes it. Here's what happens. That's love. That's how a relationship works. That's what Jesus came to do. All the other religions just want you to cook right. And that's not a relationship with the living God. See, Jesus came and he said, I'm the way. 
Come my way, all you who are weak and weary and burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And what he was saying is, if you will go my way, you'll find out how to please me, how to obey me, all those things. But I'm already in love with you. There's many of you in the room and at the campuses today that, um, here's what I would say, you've been a, going to church your whole life on and off and you believe in Jesus. Maybe you've even, even got your light bulb. But here's what I want you to understand. When you have a relationship that, like a real relationship with God, it changes you. But I see this happen all the time. There was a guy years ago, his name was uh, Mirhan Karim Nasiri. And he was a, um, an Iranian refugee. And he left Iran and um, he was going to Belgium and he landed in France and he lost his paperwork, his, um, his uh, refugee paperwork for Belgium. So the French authorities would not let him leave the Paris airport. So he got on a plane and he flew to a couple other countries. One, he went to London, he went to another one. None of them would let him get out of the airport because he was not a citizen. As a matter of fact, they said, where did you fly from? Paris. They put him back on a plane and sent him back to Paris. Paris would still not give him his paperwork. It was their version of a green card. So he ended up, they worked it, worked it out because they were not gonna send him back to Iran because he, he believed he was going to get killed if he went back to Iran. He lived in the Paris airport of Terminal 1 for over a decade, for 11 years. For 11 years he lived there. And he had a bench that he always slept on. There was a table in Terminal 1 that he, he would sit at all day long. Um, the employees of the airport knew who he was and they knew his situation. And they would bring him food. They would bring him clothes. They, you know, uh, people in the people that knew the situation would do that. In return, he cleaned the bathrooms in Terminal 1, and he just lived there for 11 years. And then finally, after 11 years, French immigration figured it out, and they came to him, and they gave him his paperwork so he could leave the airport. And they thought it was going to be this amazing day, like he was going to be crying and freaking out that he was finally free, that he finally had freedom. He could leave the airport because, let's think about it, the airport interesting place, but not home, not a home. Airport, busy place, but not a home. What is a home? A home just isn't a place, it's a people. It's a people that know you, it's a relationship. And they hand him his documents and he smiled and he said, thank you. And he proceeded to take the documents, stick them in his folder and he continued to write in his journal. See, what had happened is he had been in that place for so long, it was scary for him to leave. It, this was what was normal to him. This is what had become normal. To the rest of us, we say, oh, what captivity. But he became incredibly comfortable in that place. And what it took were months and months of leading and coaxing to get him to trust them so he could actually leave the airport and have a real home and a real people. I think that happens all the time with Christians. We give our life to Jesus, but I'll just stay on my bench. I'll just stay in my terminal. When there's a whole life for you, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that he has a life in him for you, and you're busy living yours. And I want you to know God has so much more for you. 
You just have to have the courage to get up off your bench and go. And it will be scary because it is unknown. Some of you, you don't know where you stand with God and you can know for sure. You can't, you really can know for sure. It's not like religion where you just do these things and hopefully at the end you get to be with God. Jesus said this in John 1.12. He said, but as many, actually Jesus didn't say it. I apologize. John said it. But as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. That when you have the courage to admit, you know what, I've been going my way. I've been going, actually I've sinned against God. And that Jesus came to die as a sacrifice for those sins. He rose again on the third day. He's coming back. And I don't know how all that works, but Jesus, I want you. I want your way. I've been living on this bench and it's not doing it. And you invite Christ to come into your life and forgive you of your sin and make you and go his way in faith. You don't even know how to do that. You're like, ah, I don't know how, I'm a beginner at this. I don't know how to do it. That's what faith is though, is that you just keep taking those steps. Martin Luther King, he said it this way. Faith is walking up a dark stairway, not knowing where the next step is, but trusting it's there. See, some of you are like, well, I don't know. I have my truth, you have yours. Imagine, imagine you went to a doctor and you had, your baby had jaundice. And if your baby has jaundice, um, it, it's a condition of the liver. I said kidney last service and all the nurses and doctors corrected me afterwards. It's your guts, okay, whatever. But your baby has jaundice, which is a common condition. And if you don't treat the jaundice because the, the liver's not working properly, um, it can kill the baby, but it's super easily treated. As a matter of fact, you take your baby to the doctor and the doctor's like, oh, his jaundice, very simple. We're going to put him under this UV light, put a UV blanket over him. Boom, it'll be gone very shortly. We'll take care of this. And you go, oh no, doctor. No, no, that's your truth. I actually have a Brillo pad and I can get the yellowness out of my child's skin and eyes. And if I just scrub it really hard and I have a special soap that I'm going to use and I read about it on the internet because I do research. The doctor would take the baby from you and say, that's child abuse, you can't do that. Right? See, in the, in the same way, sometimes we do that with Jesus. We go, well, he, yeah, that's what he says. At some point, you have to face that decision. I can't make that decision for you. Your grandma who goes to church can't make that decision for you. You have to have the courage to face truth and decide what it is. Most people will just keep like shucking and jiving from it. I'll check my fantasy score right now where the pastor's calling me to something hard. At some point, you have to have the courage to face truth and decide what you're gonna do with it. And here's what I would tell you. The son of God stands at the door of your heart knocking saying, if you open the door, I will come in and I will dine with you. I will have a relationship with you. But you have to be courageous enough to make that decision. The moment we're going to pray and I'm going to give you a chance to do that if you've never done that before. Some of you this morning, you've made that decision at some point in your life and you're like the dude living in the airport. You've been set free by Jesus. You're just afraid to get out there and live the life that he's given you. Maybe today's your courageous day too that you step out of that into the life that Jesus has given you. Let's pray.
I want you to just take a moment wherever you're at and talk to God in your own way.